This is episode 173 of G.I. Joburg. My name is Steve, and I've got my buddies in the mix. Introduce yourselves, gentlemen. Not in space, but still on Earth, Paul. Cujo on the West Coast that is burning, but still here. And as a special treat, in episode 173, our guest this evening is a gentleman whose work might be known to some of you. His name is Dustin Cordish, and you best get acquainted with his stuff because it is fantastic. Dustin, good evening. Good afternoon. <laughs> You're in Pittsburgh, yeah. right? Okay. Yes. It's 2 a.m. in my side of the world. It's 12 in the afternoon on yours. Welcome to G.I. Joburg, Dustin. We've had some uh, prior dealings, but uh, tell us about G.I. Joe. Tell us about you. Uh, not a lot to really tell. I'm, like I said, before we started this, I'm not used to really talking much about myself at all, but uh, <laughs> it's... We'll draw it out of you. Don't worry. Are yeah. you an 82 kind of guy? Were you there at the ground level? Yes, I was. Excellent. Wow. Who was your first G.I. Joe? Short Fuse. Okay, what was it about Short Fuse? Just, I mean, is this really plumbing the depths of your your memory now? Yeah, it wasn't it it wasn't something that I I myself selected. It was a, it was a present to me from my parents. Okay, well, this is so. where things get interesting. So obviously, your parents have excellent taste. Short Fuse is a fantastic figure with some very intricate gear. But when you first were able to select your own figure. Can you remember who it was, and can you remember the selection process? The first figure I have like a vivid recollection of actively being excited about getting was Zartan. Uh huh. Don't blame you. <laughs> I remember being at this. It was like one of those little mom and pop kind of five and dime stores. They had a little bit of everything there, and I remember it was winter because I had like my heavy coat on and stuff and we were there and I like I, I saw it on the shelf and I basically demanded to get it. <laughs> <laughs> like many of us. Yeah, man, that is a fantastic figure. I made it my personal mission. I think I used to shop on eBay towards the end of like my high school career. And when I got into varsity, that's when things really kind of went crazy. I had my own credit card by then. <laughs> and Zartan, I think, was my first adult purchase. It seemed like G.I. Joe with action features that weren't inhibiting the toy. Was the th yeah. They were all kind of very palatable. The face mask, the removable armor pieces, the color changing. All of that seemed very exotic and exciting to have as as part of a basic figure. I mean, it, it wasn't a basic figure. All of a sudden, it was far more intriguing than anything else I had owned to that point. But that is a pretty solid intro on uh, at least uh, your early collecting habits. Gentlemen, let's swing the mic around. We'll get back to you, Dustin, and uh, chat about your fantastic works. But uh, Paul, how are you doing, pal? I'm good, man. I went for a, a sneaky training session this weekend. Some of the Kung Fu guys got together or decided that, well, we have a mutual friend who has quite a sizable um, house uh, and they've got an actual gym on their premises. And it's uh, fairly, the the way it's all set up is fairly secluded from suburbia. And so we all got together yesterday and did some Kung Fu training. We did a session for two hours yesterday. So I'm actually a bit sore. <laughs> and not within the allowed uh, exercise hours of 6 to 9 a.m., well, those hours don't exist anymore, you see. You're still not allowed to congregate in one place to train, you know, like you can't go to the gym or go to dance practice or anything like that yet. But we were sneaky, we went, we went and did it secretly, 
And it was great. Paul the Lockdown <laughs> Rebel. Man, oh man. And we even proceeded to have a braai afterwards. How crazy is that? Oh, that's a barbecue <laughs> for anyone uh, not down with the South African South lingo. Africa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Cujo's lighting fires of his own brand, of course. <laughs> How are you doing, West Coast? Commonwealth, right? Is that, is that Commonwealth colloquialisms? What does Commonwealth mean to you, just real quick? Like, when you hear that word, what does that mean? Well, you guys would be part of the Commonwealth if you didn't kick the Brits out. <laughs> <laughs> I guess uh, Australia and, and to some degree South Africa kept uh, decent enough ties with, uh, with England. Um, hmm. Though in the 50s, we also threw off our colonial shackles. Uh, our political party at the time, the National Party, weren't too keen on uh, having having close ties with Britain. So we stopped singing God Save the Queen. Uh, we stopped using the pound, uh, a bunch of other things. We stopped hoisting the Union Jack. <laughs> we included it in our own national flag, but upside down, that sort of thing. Yeah. Mm. I think, so I <laughs> guess it's just like a collective body of knowledge or something like that? Well, it's just a, a collective wealth. body of countries that were at one stage British colonies. Mm. You know? <laughs> well, I think, uh, I, I mean, I, we're finding out in the States just how close people are to media. I'm not going to add any of my own commentary. This is a G.I. Joe podcast. Um, <laughs> so who is your first G.I. Joe purchase with your own right. pocket money and your own decision then, Cujo? Mm, seal. Ah, right. Yeah. Uh, I've been kissed by a rose <laughs> on the grave. If I should forward it all. <laughs> yeah, Seal. Nice. Dim, dim, the dim, underwater dim, frontier dim. is still the most interesting. No, no. Oh, wait. We do have cold steel in the house. Um, <laughs> no, I think, uh, let's see. Cold armor, pal. Cold armor. Uh, co- cold armor, my bad. No, I, I think uh, I think we're seeing some things play out stateside that will change the complexion of our country. I don't know. I don't know to what end, but... I was going to go somewhere with that, but it's a bit early. Uh, I'll probably talk some comics and stuff at the back end, but stateside, people are noisy, people are upset, and we'll see where it goes from here. What, what are you feeling, Dustin, stateside down in Pittsburgh? <laughs> uh, outlook not good. It's just a lot of things that have been boiling for probably the better part of the last decade that's coming to a big ugly head right now and whatever happens is going to happen but well i think in my career of trying to tell people what might be true i've I've grown weary of that uh i think that people see truth when they're ready to i i think that i mean uh, what was that people spend a lot of their lives trying to avoid seeing the truth that's part of the problem Uh, cheers i i think that uh the way that it's been set up looks like a chess game to me um as much as it it pains me to say it I just think that that you just you know who you are. You grow as a human, and don't don't let hate be taught to you. And it can be marketed in a lot of different ways. It's being marketed right now. Um, yeah, it's absolutely. you know people people love each other. I, what was that one Charlie Chaplin speech? What was that like? Don't be a machine man with a machine heart. We we love each <laughs> other. Don't let people tell you otherwise. Um, yeah, that's. Yeah, that's all. I think that I'll wrap that up for the West Coast anyway. <laughs> it would be glib for South Africa to just uh, brush this one under the carpet and not say anything. 
So I guess uh, if I can speak for at least the the non-US contingent in the in the room and just say that GI Joeberg would like to say to anyone who has experienced loss in this tumultuous time that you have our condolences be it loss of material things loss of livelihoods loss of health and life and limb uh you have our condolences and our, our deepest care and to anyone who is now currently living in fear you are in our thoughts mm. you know it's the oft said phrase that old chris nolan dusted off for the dark night but it's true that the darkest hour is before the dawn well the darkest hour if there's a missing the piece to the puzzle it's that people don't understand the timeline of of our our world and and that kind of makes that makes it confusing because you think everybody hates but only a specific narrative is designed to hate so i don't know guys but no i i appreciate those words steven and i know as like a a toy po- or a gi joe podcast it's more than toys you know because it was more than toys to larry so mm. i think that yeah. No, this is a this is a meaningful conversation. It always is. So I look forward to that. And I do want to talk some toys too. Agreed. On the topic of toys. Yes. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Uh, just while I've got you guys, I am busy wrapping up some stuff on a video that I'll be releasing shortly after this podcast or around the time that this podcast airs. And I got to take my Eagle Hawk out and have some fun with it, uh, with the mods and whatevers that I've done to it long ago which is like a, a peg in the seat so that you could um, stick your modern era figures in the Eagle Hawk without them falling out because they don't have any you know seat clips provided. And uh, I had so much fun with that thing again. It was so great. And I tip my cap off to you, Steve. Uh, shooting with an Eagle Hawk in one hand and the camera in the other is no easy feat. It is a real pain in the ass, I'm just going to say. <laughs> so... All those magnificent shots that you've managed to get before with a with a tomahawk, uh, I salute you, man. <laughs> because, yeah, I shot these uh, last weekend actually, but uh, I have subsequently taken the eagle hawk out for a few more flights, especially as I've been editing this video. I've just I've really been enjoying my eagle hawk. I Let specifically me... say eagle hawk. Because, yes. Yeah. You better yeah. keep that clear. Let me <laughs> just uh, make one other thing clear. Uh, and show some some love some love and some respect to our brother in absentia, uh, good old Rob. Robo. That the money shot of the reveal of the flag on the ocean, which is shot as a kind of a hanging out the side door of a tomahawk kind of shot, was shot by Rob, and he did a damn fine job of, as you said, Paul, manipulating yeah. the. <laughs> enter prefix here hawk <laughs> uh toma or or eagle and also keeping the camera steady it was a it was a damn fine shot and you know i can take no further credit for that apart from the fact that i'm actually in the shot <laughs> albeit hidden yeah. hidden underneath the uh the floating flag i was just in my wetsuit hunkered down behind the island uh in order to keep it from floating away <laughs> so um i mean i'm actually visible like i'm able to see rob through the porthole so by virtue of that if you're looking at that photograph you can see me through the porthole of the flag tower but i mean you know no one's gonna 
magnify block Z for <laughs> enhance. Enhance. Yeah, no, no one's going to do that. Anyways, moving swiftly along on the topic of videos. This weekend past, Dustin debuted Cold Armor on the G.I. Joburg YouTube channel. His first entry into G.I. Joburg Special Forces, but by no means his first video. Dustin has got a channel and he has been creating some quality work for some time now. I'd say you got into the game shortly after we did. Is that correct, Dustin? Uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember how far back it, it went when I first came out with my first video. It was uh, probably a better part of a year ago, mm. but I, I don't know if it was more than that. It featured Firefly yeah. kind of traipsing through the jungle, but then meeting up with a an aquatic team of cobras. There was a televiper, there was a lamprey. You told me at the time that you scripted it kind of on the fly. Yeah, I didn't really have any idea what I was doing. And yet, it it works. I mean, it's it's an intense bit of writing and gives Firefly more voice than I think we've ever heard from the guy. Yeah, I've actually, when I first went out to do that, I, ju- I just grabbed, like, a couple figures and uh an idea uh that they'd be doing something on a boat and it kind of had gotten into the back of my brain at that time that it would be like a take on apocalypse now Mm. and i've since gone back and i've i'm in the process of writing this massive story that would repurpose that whole scenario but i don't know if that's something that i'm ever going to be able to like put to video I've been writing for the better part of my life as an adult and uh, don't have a lot of anything that I've ever really finished. It's more just like this ongoing thing that I've been doing and doing and doing. And I kind of go back and and tweak a lot of stuff over and over and over again. But I've been spending probably the last two years primarily focused on writing G.I. Joe related stuff. And, and for a while, when uh Kindle Worlds was up and still about. I had wanted to get into that, but then it just, it kind of just shut down. And because mm-hmm. prior to that, I didn't want to write anything that was in the eventuality that I might do something with it, like mm-hmm. wanted to, to make money off of. I didn't want to have something that would be, you know, it would be licensed. It would have to be licensed. You know, it's not my, my work, my character. So I wouldn't be really be able to do that unless I had permission to do so. Yeah, Kindle World shutting down was a bit of a blow. I'd kind of been waiting on the sidelines, you know, about to dip my toes, and then I heard that it was shutting down, and I was like, well, then I'll save it for something else. (laughs) But (laughs) it's interesting that you say Firefly uh, and, and that video, that initial video gave you the apocalypse now vibe would you say that you'd recast firefly as that martin sheen character yeah that that was my idea and actually uh with the idea that i have now uh zartan would be colonel kurtz ah fascinating interesting you definitely have a strong sense of fleshing out these cobra characters that have always been kind of blank slates I mean, when I say you've given Firefly more voice than he's ever had, that's notwithstanding his appearance in Neon Green when Larry made him the faceless (laughs) master and just made him extremely talkative, perhaps obnoxiously so. Now, 
Another thing that really jumped out of me on your channel was you have extensive uh, writings on Cobra Law or Cobra La, <laughs> <laughs> spelled slightly differently, and you uh, revived Dr. Venom to give this speech. In brief, can you tell the boys and the listeners what your philosophy of Cobra Law is? Mutant Snake Man, by any chance? Um... Kind of more reptilian, I guess, okay. maybe. Nice. In my mind, they were a race that existed way before the dawn of man, but crossed over into that area and had uh, science abilities far beyond anything that we have yet to achieve. And were kind of like if you took Cobra Law and Prometheus and kind of mashed them up. They're they're kind of the ones that gave human beings their sentient intelligence. Mm, the okay. architects. Yeah. Ah oh, yes. Stephen, were you pulling on that thread? Are you talking about like the Anuake or whatever that is? Anunnaki. Yes. I mean, I don't know why I know that word. Well, that's that's why the like, like that Catholic place looks like a serpent's head because like. There is some thread that goes back to the dawn of creating humans and like the there was some kind of reptile human breed that kind of set that. And it's weird because every time I look at my bearded dragon, he looks at me with such intensity. You feel like there's <laughs> echoes. There's like a symmetry in time that the two species are watching each other. Isn't that weird? <laughs> he looks at you like, hello, Kujo. And you're like, who said that? <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and the species drive each other mad because they can never communicate. Anyway, sorry, Dustin. <laughs> Carry on, brother. The idea, I don't remember how I came out with, I think when I was initially developing that backstory to Cobra Law, I, I think I was at the same time I was watching a lot of different TED Talks on all kinds of different things, and I got the idea that I would have Dr. Venom doing it. And then I just made it a Fred talk because, like, Fred is the Crimson Guard. <laughs> very nice, very nice. Was that your first set, so to speak? Everything else was kind of filmed out in the wilds. And we'll get onto the topic of your set building in a minute, but uh, would you say that was the, the first thing you purpose created for a, a video production? For video, yes. I've done, I've done some in the past for... Photography. Yeah, photography. I've been doing that maybe shit. I guess it's like closer to six years now, probably. Not a yeah, lot. We we all had to find out new ways to play with our toys, right? Yeah, some people are continually pumping out so much work. I don't know how they have the time to do it or the imagination to, you know, keep coming up with so much incredible work. But I I have I have spurts of it and then I just kinda kinda get stagnant for a little bit and then all of a sudden I'll have an idea to go out and do something life brother life and what's beautiful about treating this as a hobby and not as a job is that you're not under the pump as it were to produce content power to the people who mm -hmm. are producing it on a weekly basis but i think there's something very special about acting on inspiration the timing has to be right your passion has to be at its at its peak otherwise you're just kind of creating content and there's no heart in it of course, that's not true of the people routinely creating amazing work, seemingly week to week. Those guys, uh, I don't know. They've just got it on tap. 
but uh, I think there's nothing wrong with admitting to like more occasional bursts of inspiration and energy and you know when the stars are in alignment that's when Dustin Cordish strikes <laughs> <laughs> so you got a love for the the persuader buddy I do. Huh. I, I love the suspension of it. And I know I, I can't remember who, who the uh, designer was, but I know that their background was in the automotive industry. Mm, wasn't that a Dave Kunitz design? I I cannot remember. Uh, people in the know are probably screaming at their radios right now. But I, I seem to think maybe it was one of his earlies. I mean, he came on, I think, in 86. I mean, I know the LCV is one of his. But yeah, for some reason, I, I think it was it was it was Dave Kunitz. But once again, I, I I don't really take too much note of this stuff. But his name seems to stick, and I'd love to get him on the show at some stage because vehicle design is so interesting to me. Like the stuff that really pulled elements seemingly out of nowhere, though it must have come from somewhere. Like the Persuader, it's got lines of, oh man, it. it <laughs> This is this is something that I learned from Scott Gilmore, who created the Armor 3 G.I. Joe mod, that the Armadillo is a, basically a Sherman tank reversed and shrunken down. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe the Persuader has a similar lineage, you know, giving it the sharper edge in the front and the more gradual slope towards the back. Yeah. It's very possible. I know a lot of those designs were based on model kits, uh, but also like uh, military vehicles in development at different points. I know um, for as as early as I can remember, um, my grandfather would get popular mechanics magazines. And every time I go, Mm -hmm. we go over there every Sunday and visit. He had them. He was a Navy CB during uh, World War II in the Pacific. and uh, Communications? Combat engineers. All right. Okay. Sorry, man. I've never done any service in any part of the world. Not done with all the acronyms. Boo. Yeah. When he came back, he started collecting them from, like, I think in his garage. He had them going back to, like, 1948. He had all of them, and I, I would spend hours going over them. And there's a lot of, I think, as I collected the line throughout the years, I'd come across like interesting things here and there that was like, that looks a lot like that, you know? Does the Persuader remind you of anything in particular? I feel like there there is something in the back of my mind that I know I've seen somewhere. It has a very familiar look to me that I know I've seen somewhere else, but I, I've never been able to place it. I have spent some time, I think I had a thread on his tank a long time ago where I was looking at different G.I. Joe vehicles and weapons and, and finding their real life basis on, on military vehicles for that. But I'm, I've never been good at keeping the names of and details of those things in my head. I have, I have like files and files where I, I have notes collected, but to like try and remember that right now would be just a waste of time. Oh man. I love the fact that you've put so much time and effort into just fleshing these things out for yourself. Excellent work, Dustin. Thank you. Dustin, did you drop your favorite vehicle or was that it? Like my personal favorite? 
correct? No, I did not. That's not it. It's really hard for me to to pick favorites. I have things that I go to, and it's really like, what am I in the mood? What's your um, go-to tank? The classics are always the best. I love the Hiss. I mean, they're technically not tanks. They're attack vehicles, but, I mean, everybody calls them a tank. They're still basically used as a tank. Rose by any other name. I know that. Yeah. <laughs> Were you ever in a position, and I know that if I was perhaps in this position, I'd probably have done this a lot, where maybe you asked your dad a lot of technical stuff about some of the vehicles in G.I. Joe? Like, you know, maybe you didn't understand something about a gun or its caliber or something, and, you know, did you ever ask your dad about that kind of stuff? Uh, was that like a bonding point for you at, at some point when you were a kid? Uh, not in that way, but he, w my dad was a toy collector to some degree. And oh, okay, he cool. was, I think, the reason that my parents started getting me GI Joes. Right, and, uh, okay. I know, I know with my mom, she liked all the, uh, the figures that would come with animals. So <laughs> she'd always pick those out for me too. Okay. Uh, interesting. I just, um, because I mean, to share a bit of my history, it's like with my dad, sometimes I'd ask him like about a certain gun or something and what this meant, you know, like, you know, you would read all these things on the file cards and, you know, I'd ask him like, oh, what, what does this mean on the gun? Like, what is, what is a nine millimeter round? Like, what is that actually, you know? And then my dad would explain to me and that kind of thing. So it's weird. I do remember like reading all that stuff. I don't think I really did understand exactly what they were at the time, but I think I, I'd always had an interest in, in uh, military stuff. So yeah. I think I had been like exposed to a lot of that through different books and stuff that I, I had at the time. Mm. Okay. Nine cool. mil? What's that in Imperial? Damn. Dustin, <laughs> how would you order these three things in terms of their importance to you? Toys comic books, cartoons. Probably in that order. Fantastic. My kind of guy. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Good. Open and shut. Buddy, you tackled, at least in a kind of a very enigmatic way, the origin of the Mercer character. Does he occupy a special place in your favor? No, that was... That was... I've been collecting a lot of the figures that I never, I didn't have as a kid. I actually didn't get back into collecting the vintage stuff until about two years ago, maybe a little wow. over two years ago. And when would you say you got out? What year was your kind of swan song of the classic collection? I think the la the last two figures that I got were the last, the update of the original Destro, and then the the uh, second. Firefly. Those are the last two that I remember getting during during the original run. And I remember, I think around 2000 or so, maybe a little later, I remember, because they, they kind of disappeared off the shelves. Mm. And uh, at that time, I was stationed in, in Germany. And uh, I remember seeing some on the shelves of the PX. I'm like, oh, G.I. Joe. So I, I picked up uh, one of the one They had like... I can't think, I can't remember if they were spy troops. They had like a CD-ROM or something with them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> God. Was it a DVD <laughs> of like a, an animated show? I don't remember. I, I know I never even looked at it. I, <laughs> I just got it for the figure, but it was it was Zartan. And, and I got them, but I, they weren't quite the same. They were like more rubbery or whatever. Mm -hmm. But uh, I, I stuck with the line. I was collecting uh, 
the BBI Elite Force stuff. Yeah. That, uh, early 2000s, <sighs> which I love. That line. I still have a lot of it. Did you get the vehicles, buddy? Because they yes. were accurately scaled and therefore were huge. Yes. <laughs> you need a lot of real estate to display those guys. It sucks right now because I don't have a lot of place to put them out, so they're just kind of boxed up. But I still have, like, the Blackhawk, the Pavehawk, the Apache, uh, the Abrams, and the uh, a couple of the Little Birds. Did you get any of the fast movers, like a Hornet? No, I never got any of the Jets. Massive. I mean, understandably so. They had to be accurately scaled. They were going for total realism. But damn, there comes a line when it just stops being fun. It's like, yeah, this <laughs> literally is just something that you're going to hang over your head <laughs> and never touch. I still read the comic books. I still had, like, an interest in it. I was on his tank for, I forget when I got on there. Like, I want to say, like, 2005 or six. Sounds about right. And then... uh when the Man, modern era stuff forward. came out, I, was when I really got back into collecting G.I. Joe's. And yet, your videos focus quite heavily on O-ring construction shows. Modern era stuff are not, like, they're good for posing and taking a picture, but to, like, move around and, and like, they don't hold on to their stuff very well. Preach. Flexible. They're just, yeah, they're good to look at, but not for like doing anything motion related cooch i'm i'm curious buddy because i mean you know you're kind of ambivalent when it comes to construction you go with whatever looks the best and certainly your your custom uh figures your representation of uh, cujo with a k and mm -hmm. white lightning are done up very handsomely in the modern construction why are you saying preach dude are you also staying on the o-ring side of the divide of course, JD made me an O-ring Cujo. Have you forgotten? <laughs> oh, of course, yes. But um, yeah, no, no, we haven't stretched as far as White Lightning yet. You no, we haven't. That, uh, slender female frame in an O-ring format. It's where are you at, JD? You don't have many bodies to choose from, sadly. I think Shooter. Oh, that's a that's a modern form. Um, no, I think O-ring is infinitely more playable. I agree with that. I don't know if I agree with that as the deciding factor. I just go hmm. with nostalgia, man. Nostalgia and vehicle compatibility. Uh, that's that's what it comes down to for me personally. I was riding that uh, modern era wave, man, all the way. And then I decided I don't want to keep rebuying the same characters that I already believe I have the optimal version of. Just got to ask those questions of yourself. Anyways, enough about me. <laughs> I like toys. Uh, Paul, Paul likes toys, all toys. I like toys. You just can't get enough. Just don't give me new sculpt era stuff, and I'm happy. You know what? I was looking at a new sculpt era Scarlet Head, and I thought to myself, I would feel rocks about making that head fit the classic O-ring Scarlet body. Because we can all agree, like, <sighs> the first female the of the line does not suck. She's got a immaculate sculpt, albeit like eggshell. The She's body, very yes. fragile. Um, but the the head could do with some work, and a new sculpt era head might come to her rescue, provided it's not a pin-headed sculpt. It's one of those things that you can only fully assess when you've got them all in hand. And new sculpt, as I'm trying to say, has its function, and that's you know, you can integrate those parts into the classic O-ring sculpt and then mystify all the purists. They'll be like, I don't recognize that 
set of legs. I don't recognize that crotch piece. And you're like, well, keep trawling, baby. You ain't going to find it in the 82 to 94 pool. Anyways. Uh, Hashtag Scarlet Thirst. Mm. <laughs> yeah, quench it. The only redeeming thing, and I don't know if these are really new sculpts, but they did this like this line where it kind of had, I believe they sort of had like an O-ring style body, like much, oh, very much a reuse of parts from the 80s and 90s line. But then they did like much better head sculpts in some respects. And I picked up a key ring from like a weird, uh, what most of our listeners would uh, be familiar with as a dollar store. It was a key ring uh, and the O-ring was replaced by an elastic band. So it was G.I. Joe's as key rings. And I got this really fantastic Lady J head sculpt of uh, a, a completely clear blue body. <laughs> and I got to say, that one rocks. And I think that that comes from the DTC line or something like that. But yeah, so I do understand where switching head sculpts and things can be like a beneficial thing because that is a really great Lady J head sculpt. But yeah, new sculpt era, a lot of them are pinheads. <laughs> so. The new heads on old bodies was yeah. something that the comic three packs typically had. There we go. That's the line. Yes. Yeah. And they were, to a greater or lesser degree, success. Like, they finally gave us a Quinn head sculpt in the O-ring style. He used, I think, Big Ben's uh, torso. So you had this sort of the bullet belt slung across the chest. And they gave him his weasel skull necklace. Nice. You also got, like, General Flag. You know, Flag Senior with the glasses and the hat. You got better face sculpts for the original 13 guys who all were just the same head sculpts repeated back in the day. Now you got them individuated and more more accurate to their comic book appearances. But with the rough, or sorry, with the smooth came the rough and <laughs> you got the most pin-headed scarlet head sculpt on a Jinx body to try and approximate her appearance in G.I. Joe issue number two. Panic at the North Pole, uh, where she's wearing a sort of a martial arts gi at a martial gi, arts yeah. competition. Yeah, yeah. Is that the white one? Where she's that wearing is the, the white, white one. Yeah. Pinheaded scarlet. Woohoo. Uh, give that one a wide berth. Anyway. Hey. <laughs> Dustin, cold armor. Buddy, was this somehow targeted at the Falcon 9 launch? Because this takes place in space, dealing with two Cobranauts, Kirill and Carter, and, I mean, it's definitely the hot topic at the moment. It couldn't have come at a better time. They're doing something insidious to a Playmobil <laughs> uh, satellite. Um, are you are you attacking the, the International Space Station, buddy? No. the uh, I don't know what they're doing, but I wrote that well over a year ago. Actually, it was right after I got that Playmobil satellite, and I wanted I wanted to do something with it, and I think... Watching your review on the Defiant kind of like gave me an idea how to I might go about like making putting something like that to a video. But like like I said, I wrote that way back when and I didn't really do anything with it. Like I put those first two videos out and uh, I'd had some uh, kind of weird health problems from starting last July going on up until very recently that has kind of haven't been able to do a whole lot other than working on the writing end, but I've been feeling better 
So I've been kind of getting back into it a little bit. But then I was like, I was sitting around here with my cats and on a Saturday and I was like, why don't I try doing something with that? And it actually, I'm surprised by how quick it ended up working. I duct taped up like a dark sheet in my bathroom. I closed the door off and turned the lights out. And I had like a little, little bit of lighting there. And I think I maybe spent two hours trying to film everything. And then I edited it and maybe another hour. Like the majority of the, the time I spent on that was adding in all the sound effects. And it was very effective, man. It definitely created that spacey ambience. Not a whole lot going on, but you got the radio chatter. I, I, I yeah. use the word Kubrickian as in Stanley Kubrick, as in 2001, because he had the balls to create a very sparse soundscape. When you're in space, it's deafeningly quiet. Yeah. Yeah. It does add a lot. Like, it to me, it's... Because I'll, I'll sit through and, and watch the thing after, after I get it edited out how I want and then, like, just get the audio dialogue on there. Mm-hmm. And there's so much of a difference once you add all that little bit of detail in there. I've always had like a weird interest in sound. Being a Foley artist, I remember having an interest in that like way back in high school. Like I was always, I've always been interested in music. I used to have these uh, weird reverb amps and, and like a cassette deck and, and I'd like just record all these weird sounds and I'd, uh, make mixtapes and I sample audio clips off of like old movies and put them in between the songs and this and that. So I, I always had fun doing that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I really haven't done anything with that up until I started doing these videos. I don't like doing the, the voices. I don't like hearing the sound of my own voice. It's kind of like a weird thing for me, but I do really, Amen. Like <laughs> I do really Amen. like playing with the audio. The, like all the little sound effect tweakings and stuff it's that's really fun for me and really well done man i must say my kryptonite is working with foley uh it's such a chore that's why for the videos that i produce i just go with mouth sound effects man <laughs> that's how and we did it even as that's kids. really effective though too i mean uh, it's, there it's also and really it, it, lazy Let's be honest. I sit in front of a microphone and I do machine gun sounds and <laughs> jet engine sounds and motorcycle sounds. You know, it's it's easy because you take one pass at it as opposed to sourcing a sound, cutting it down to the right length, well, putting in yeah. fades. All it streamlines stuff. the process, too, because I, I've I spent a lot of like, especially with vehicle sound effects, I, I spend a lot of time where it's like. I can't find the sound I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you got to make that sound. You've got to find something that approximates it and then like, mix it with something else. And... Oh, and just get it to behave properly. I mean, mm. you can record a helicopter on a landing pad doing its kind of its warm-ups. But if you need the sound of it taking off or doing a flyby, yeah. you've yeah. got to you know, change that sound somehow. And it, yeah, it takes a little bit of work to, to get it right. And hey, we're all just pioneering this this art form. I'm loath to say, you know, who's who's to judge it as art? It's, uh, entertainment form. Yeah, look, <laughs> we're all just finding our way. We're not experts by any stretch, but we're telling these stories, and it's I think it's so important to just share how we play. 
are those screens that Technoviper Carter has, are they uh, Playmobil as well? Yeah. Love me some transparent plastic, man. <laughs> those are so good. So good. Yeah, that, there's there's a lot of uh, interesting little things that you can get from the Playmobil line. And even some of the vehicles, I've uh, some of the trucks and stuff, just a little bit of cutting away plastic, and mm. you can fit a G.I. Joe figure in there. Yep. They work yep. really well. I was spoiled as a child. I, I had a few Playmobil space shuttles that did actually fit three and three quarter inch O-ring Joes, and perfectly. I remember Countdown took uh, countless uh, space missions in a Playmobil shuttle. But we have some questions for you uh, from YouTube, in fact. Stephanie McKeon, she says, this was great, but she wants to know what kind of camera was used to film in low light like that. <laughs> it's just my iPhone. Outstanding. <laughs> there you go. The phone of eyes, Stephanie. <laughs> like I said, I had I had a black backdrop. I had the lights dimmed very low. Uh, in some of the shots, I had to uh, darken it a little bit more to to kind of mute out the background. But, yeah, that's pretty much it. I got like a – it's like a GoPro knockoff. Okay. I've used it a couple times, but it's just it's just easier to use the phone that I have. Oh, yeah. Yeah, look, I mean, it, I, I take it it w wouldn't have its own screen, the GoPro knockoff. This one does. Oh, it it's, does? Yeah. Oh. I bet it doesn't have the uh, lifelong guarantee. <laughs> you break it, we <laughs> no. repair it, GoPro style. I, I don't know, but it, it's it's just not very good at all for anything close up. You have to be yeah, back, back a good ways. Yeah, it's got a very funny focal depth. I've played around with this a little bit, but I haven't used it in anything yet. But I got, it's kind of like a, marketed as like a automotive scope. And it has like a USB, it records directly to your phone, but you can... Put it wherever. It's maybe like a 12 foot long. It's got like a tiny little pinhead <gasps> lens on it, but Incredible. it's also it's also has like a uh, it's waterproof. It has like a little thing you can put underwater. I was really thinking of trying to do something with tunnel rat with that. It, it gives you kind of like a not like a fisheye lens, but something similar to that. What kind of length is it? Did you say? I think it's a little bit over 12 foot long, and it, it's it's uh it's flexible. It bends. It stays wherever you want it to, to be. That sounds incredible, man. I, I'd be curious to know how you uh, intend to use it, but part of me just wants to be surprised. <laughs> Gentlemen, I think we're forgetting a very important question. Is Apollo 18 an underrated horror movie? Discuss. Yes. I agree. Very, very much. <laughs> We've been experiencing unexplained malfunctions. Look at this. Flag's gone. Tracks. They aren't ours. They lead away from our sight. Mike, they're picking up interference. I've never heard anything like it. Restoring communication needs to be priority one. Without that, we're not going home. What the hell is going on? Looks like the whole insulation is damaged. There's a couple movies out there. I care. Uh, Your favorite astronaut movie. And of course, Capricorn One is everybody's favorite. So we got to throw it out. <laughs> <laughs> well, they technically didn't go into space in that movie. Hey, now. 
But, uh, Paul, what's your favorite astronaut movie? You know, it's actually a film I used to really hate as a kid, and I've grown to love it now. Like, I don't know if this is fair to call it an astronaut movie, but Stephen mentioned it earlier, 2001. I really love Space Odyssey now. It's like, it's a really, really great film. And I know that if I said Alien, I would be pushing it, so... I'm just gonna, like, hang back on 2001, and I know it's kind of, like, so basic and blah blah blah, but I really love that movie. It's a good movie. Did you see Apollo 18? No, I didn't, actually. I didn't even know that exists. I'll look it up. Sorry, I didn't mean to derail. No, no, it's all good, man. It's just that, like, it's actually weird. Like, I, I mean, I have kind of a, a weird hankering uh, for space. I mean, when I was a kid, uh, I know every kid's like, I want to be a spaceman. But uh, my grandmother actually got me a book about astronauts and stuff. I think I was, like, five years old. And I'd always been fascinated by them. And so that kind of put me on a bit of a sci-fi kink. As in, anytime anything was in space or space-related, I would watch it. I mean, there was some cool stuff. I think, I remember, what is that, Disney did this really cool film? Uh, something with the black hole? Oh, the black hole. Yeah. Have you that... watched it recently? Yeah. Okay. Wow. Uh, not recently. I see it's on Netflix. I must actually give it a shot again. You're kidding. It's remember... on Netflix? Yeah. No. Didn't they just suck it, it back into Disney. Disney Plus? It could have been. I must double check, but I remember seeing it on Netflix and going, oh, cool, and I added it to my list. And I haven't watched it since. Hey, wow. Dustin, did you try and simulate any stars in that video? Did you attempt anything like that? No. I used my laptop. I just put those kind of a, I found a darkened picture of the Earth, and I mm. kind of used that. For the opening. Yeah, and and then a lot of uh, the actual shots from, from any of the space missions, you don't really see a lot of the star background. So I kind of didn't even worry about that. Yeah, true, true, true. It's very difficult to photograph stars and a subject brightly lit in front. So, yeah, I, I buy that. That's definitely uh, true of both our modest uh, photography and photography up there in the heavens. But photography that uh, isn't modest and, and definitely should be celebrated is uh, none other than Mr. Matt Miller, a.k.a. Mate Mylar. What did you think when you saw his promo pics? That was pretty tight. Yeah, man. I didn't realize on Instagram that I wasn't even following him. I see so much of his work all the time, and it's always incredible, but it's just because it's always being reposted or linked uh, to other people. Like, I, I assumed that I was already following him. He followed me, and I followed him back the other day, so... True story, he fabricated a Astro Viper helmet and the control arms and kind of cheated them in that shot. <laughs> I, I hope I'm not revealing too much of the magic, but uh, he had an Astro Viper action figure but didn't have the accessories, and he made workarounds. Hmm. The man does definitely go above and beyond the Call of Duty, and we are very, very grateful for that. But someone who also got involved is none other than my man Paul, who got some coaching from Mate on the side and produced the thumbnail for the actual video. I thought that'd be very Yo. fitting. Get Paul involved. And it was nice to introduce you to Matt, because he had thrown some serious praise your way. He really loved your track on uh, Bad Luck Lady, Paul. So it was nice to yeah, throw he... you two creative cats together. <laughs> no, it was cool. And he's such a cool guy as well. Like, he's, he's really funny. He's really open about, like, stuff. You know, if, I, I think if anybody that's into sort of toy photography had to approach him and and ask him a question or ask him like, how did you do that on those shots or whatever? He'd be very more than happy to share that information with you and 
and may may even overshare. And I'm not saying that is a bad thing. It's just uh, he's he's very passionate about what he does, and I think he I think if anybody like approaches him and is is even like remotely interested in what he's doing. He's just happy to to share that knowledge. Mm, very very generous. What did he tell you, Paul? Oh, he gave me quite a cool trick with uh with creating a star field actually, uh which was also shared sort of via you as well uh, until I actually got a chance to check out the whole mail. And then I took it a bit further, well not further, but I just took it in my direction. And then um yeah, it was it came out really really well. I was actually so happy with the shots. In fact, just the raw shot that came off my iPhone with I mean off my iPhone. I miss my iPhone, which came off my Android phone. They just came out really, really well. And it just got me all excited and inspired to, to do an interesting title. I played around with some effects here and there, nothing too major. Even got myself like a, a bit of a full light going. These are all like very silly technical terms. But that green glow that's on the YouTube thumbnail, that's actually reflected light that I put on him. And, and then I put a bit of smoke in the shot as well, just to help disperse the light and give the, the shot a bit more texture. You know, stuff like that. And and then when Matt saw it, he was like, oh, that's so cool. I would click on that. And then <laughs> that was it. Yeah, and then he sends these or... amazing shots. Yeah. No, yeah. And crazy. then he just sent some of these amazing shots afterwards. And I was like, oh, wow, those are really, really incredible. So the cool news is, I just want to double check with him, but it seems like our patrons will be getting some very cool wallpapers soon. <laughs> Outstanding. Courtesy of myself and Matt. So... <laughs> Of course, yeah. if you aren't a patron, uh, what are you doing? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Yeah. You can see uh, Matt's work Criminal. on his Instagram page and also on ours. Uh, the G.I. Yeah. Joburg Instagram page will have the photographs in question for free. <laughs> for free, yeah. But as a of bonus, course, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you want some super special sweet content, exclusive stuff. Join the, the Berg Force. <laughs> <laughs> Plug over. Kucho, what were we going to say, buddy? Oh, no, I was just uh, piling on. You know, plug that hole. Astro Viper is such a sexy toy. You like it? Oh, man. I love them. I love Astro Vipers. Like, I I got my... My first one was the green one, the turquoise one that came with the Star Brigade. You know, when they did mm. that um, standard sort of O-ring construction. And that was my first blush with it. And that was also probably the first time I sort of got angry with uh, repackaging. <laughs> Because it would have been so much cooler if he had come with his original gear. And, uh, yeah, this was one of those toys that was on my hit list. And luckily I found that guy who was selling his collection off. And this was part of that uh, massive collection. And it was, uh, yeah, when I had it in hand, I was like, wow, this is really such an amazing toy. And the color scheme and everything, the red and black, red, black, and gold. I mean, I've got him here with me. Doesn't uh, he have just... like a C-3PO thing on his chest that kind of throws him off? Mm, isn't that a cobra symbol? But it yes. like goes over the gold and the 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 sculpt. Yeah, sutures. Uh, so it doesn't and really that would work. Be, yeah, that would be the only knock against this figure I have, because everything else is gold. I mean, excuse, I mean, the Paul, I mean, it is gold. Didn't, didn't you find it weird? I don't know if distribution was the same in Johannesburg, but it was sold. I remember distinctly, like Astro Viper shared the same pegs as Laser Viper in our release schedule. Okay, so we didn't like, have that. Why are these two figures that have, to my seven-year-old mind, like, they've got the same gear? They, what are they? They're both Cobras, and they both, like, so so that didn't didn't occur in Johannesburg. I just remember Astro Viper and Laser Viper, like, why? We're getting a duplication of specialties. 
<laughs> so for specifically for that line of Star Brigade, I had to buy them from an actual mom and pop uh, toy shop in Fourways Mall, uh, which is a mall that's reasonably close to me, but quite far for me to go to. And I popped into that toy shop and they had the Astro Viper. They had, um, I can't believe I can't think of his name right now, a countdown. And mm-hmm. I, those were the only two that they had that I remember. I think they also had, I keep thinking they had General Hawk as well, or Hawk, um, with the flight pack and stuff, but in different colors for some reason. Um, you just had a they, whole slew of astronaut-ish characters. Fantastic, man. No, I think it was actually Roadblock was the other character they had then. Um, Star Brigade. Yeah, for Star Brigade, yeah. Okay. But they were the only place that I ever saw them. Because everywhere else had the the big sort of armored bots, you know, the, yes. the sort of power armor versions. So yes. that, yeah, and that's what made me so excited. I was like, oh my word, O-Ring, G.I. Joe's. Well, I didn't think of it as like O-Ring. I was like, proper G.I. Joe's. That was my thinking at the time. <laughs> Dustin, do you find that Astro Vipers have kind of been elevated in your opinion to like in your top three Vipers? Or are they still pretty peripheral? Their role is definitely very specialized. Very expensive is what I think. I'm like, does Cobra field a more trained operative than an Astro Viper? Essentially, Cobra Nauts. I mean, that's not something even Cobra would want to rush you through your training for. No. These guys are an investment. Yeah, there definitely wouldn't be uh, platoons or brigades worth of them either. They're probably, I wouldn't say more than a dozen or so. I would agree. You know, within the ranks. Yeah, man. I've been looking at the uh, the track viper I just got recently, and I want that to be like a Cobra astronaut pilot. But I, I've been looking at his head, and it's like <laughs> <laughs> it looks like he's a he's like a, a you know second generation bat or something. Like his, his yeah. uh, the back of his head's all squared off. I've never I've never had one before. And it's like it's he's got like these cooling vents at the back or something. It's like it's way too small for like a normal size GI Joe head to fit inside. They do some hideous modifications, body modifications on track yeah. vipers <laughs> and detonator <laughs> drivers. Uh, what are they called? Nitro viper? Because it uses yeah. the same head sculpt. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Bad news for those boys. But yeah, it's, it's weird. Weird helmets that can't conceivably contain a human head always put me off. Like, I never could understand. I could never take Annihilators to be human troops. To me, they were, like, orange-skinned and had, like, weird reptilian heads that fit those strange, snouty helmets. They came out of Cobra Law. There you go, buddy! (laughs) Cobra Law. Ah, the late, great Dr. Venom. Thanks for dusting him off, man. The man did not get enough play, at least not while he was alive. One more question from the YouTubes, Mr. Dustin, if you please. Uh, This one comes from Hollywood Purgatory. Uh, They want to know if there will be a part two. (laughs) I also want to know. Well, I would really like it if somebody else would make it. I don't have any ideas for it. I may, if nothing else happens with it, I may at some point do something with it. But based on The Most Dangerous Prey Part 1 that came out like over a year ago, I still haven't done anything with that. I'm notoriously bad on following up things. But uh, 
I don't know. Like I said, it, it'd be nice if somebody else would pick it up and run with it. Which gets me to a question. I dig those two characters, and I'm actually curious if if they are only Astro Vipers. You know, I mean, yeah, in the in the vid, you know, he talks about space and everything, but like, it'd be really like funny to see those two as like techno vipers in a different episode. You know, like that's what uh, Carter is a techno viper. He's just, uh, in my mind, the vipers have like a weird system of, because i was in the military and I, I i kind of understand how a lot of that that works like everyone's a soldier but then everybody goes and does their specialty training but they also you get to go do other things like you can go airborne or air assault uh yeah. this tech this techno viper happens to be rated as an astro viper but he's still a techno viper so he's still interchangeable so, yeah. Uh, but that's just the the surface of it. I mean, Dustin, mm. these guys have such an incredible backstory, all squashed mm. into you know what is a very brief video uh, when when all told. But you got Kirill, who would have been a cosmonaut in a bygone era, but you know just because of he's, I suppose he's a victim of his age uh, and politics. Yeah. The only way he gets into space is by joining Cobra. Fantastic. He doesn't yeah. care who he's. He, he's an astronaut for as long as he gets to space war. To go to space, yeah. Yeah, because petty squabbles of the Earth are meaningless when you are in the outer atmosphere. Yeah. And Carter, even more intriguing, he's doing it against his will. He's doing it to buy his way back into his old life. You've given these guys depth, man. And it is very, very challenging to try and add to that in this format. It, it might really stretch the limits of the play motion medium but you've given these guys such humanity and i think that that's something that has kind of always bugged me about like basic action films where you know it's good guys versus bad guys the bad guys never get to have any kind of real development they're just like you know cannon fodder (laughs) yeah sure the one form of media that really planted the seed for for my own developing you know cobra characters as basic troopers was the venture brothers with the henchmen yeah. like <laughs> 21 and <laughs> you know they're, they're just background guys you know but it's just funny to me to like think of all these guys you know like sitting around you know just making all these snarky sarcastic comments about you know being told to go do whatever they got to do making fun of cobra commander with his voice at all and all that well, one thing I, I have to say that I really loved about, about your episode was I really enjoyed that slice of life. Like, it didn't need any action. It was purely, like, exposition. It was purely between these two characters and the sort of slice of life uh, as a cobra. And that is something I really enjoyed. I really enjoy those kind of stories. And I would love to see either yourself or whoever is inspired by what you've done. I'd love to see, like, a bit of a, a sort of an anthology of play motion episodes that that are done like that you know not necessarily always these big sagas as as we have done but you know these little slice of life life moments especially i mean i i a lot of the times when i think of stuff to do mine are also slice of life i don't want to write these huge epic things because then i start tying myself up in a in a knot and i thoroughly enjoyed that and it reminded me of uh well kujo asked earlier what is my favorite like astronaut movie or like whatever but 
and I had to like think hard about a movie, but I can easily think of an anime. Uh, there's an anime called Planets, and it has to do with the fact that space travel has become so sort of blasé now that around the Earth there's quite a, a thick layer of space junk, and uh, there's a huge accident that happens on a commercial space flight, and it's a huge like commercial space flight disaster, and it and and it forces the governments of the world with space programs to release uh, space janitors. So it's these guys that are trained as astronauts, although they're not technically astronauts as in like they're super science or engineering boffins, so to speak. But these are all guys that, you know, this is their job. And the whole show is actually them in their capsule doing their job and kind of talking about the doldrums of their day-to-day lives. And then it starts unraveling into their personal lives and, and why they do what they do. It's very cool. Believe it or not, I've seen that. And doesn't it get like super serious down the stretch politically? It he- gets hectically super serious with that. And it's it's so totally worth the watch. Uh, it, it even, even if you're not an anime fan, because it's it's got that production IG style of anime, which is more sort of realistic. Well, and Gravity so stole that shot of a floating nut. <laughs> yes, totally. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. And then, and then just to add to, you know, when you talk about like fleshing out your, your enemy in a show, I'm going to bring up another anime and, an, and it's an anime I'm, I'm very like in love with. It's, uh, Gundam. The, the Gundam series definitely tries its best to explore both sides of the conflict. Well, being very careful not to call either side a good or a bad guy because our, even our protagonists in the show, in the original Gundam are refugees. That happen to be fighting on the side of, like, say, for example, the Earth Federation. Although we see a lot of the, a lot of the stuff that's happening on the sort of Zeon side, and it humanizes the enemy quite a bit, so to speak, uh, depending on whichever side you tend to to fall in. And then, and then it completely like flips, flips the bed, bed, should I say, <laughs> when you get to the sequel, where the sequel now gives you more of a point of view from the guys that have been beaten and then you actually see how bad the earth federation really is and that kind of thing is also always fascinating just to relate to what you were saying earlier about how you know bad guys don't always get the depth they deserve and that's just me plugging gundam a little because i love it so much i feel like it's it's just shitty writing to like just assume that a person is inherently bad there's a path that they take to get to that point and uh like joker was yeah for, like I love movies like that where where they investigate the reasons why or they at least try to tell it in an interesting way you mm. know because a lot of time it's always just like you know the bad guy's bad and the good guys got to stop oh. that yeah exactly which yeah. is something that we scoffed down as children you know we always wanted to rally behind the good guys because they were so virtuous and good how could we ever question that you get a little bit older, a little bit more jaded, and you realize there are dimensions to everyone, and that everyone is on some kind of spectrum of good and evil, and everyone has kind of justified their path to themselves. And there's no justification that is completely outrageous. You know, everyone is a rational, thinking human being. So the people mm. that join Cobra, they have their reasons, and it's a multitude of reasons. And Cobra is not perhaps then inherently bad. Yeah, there's a lot of complexity and a lot of interesting stories that could be told, and I'm so glad that you shed some light on these two Cobra operatives, Dustin. I certainly hope they do have a future, uh, either in your hands or if you freely allow another author to take on from, from your work, which, I mean, in your closing shot, in your parting shot, your sort of end titles, you do invite 
another author in. Yeah. So I guess this is just me sending that message in a bottle out into the G.I. Joe community, the G.I. Joe Berg community. If anyone wants to pick up where you left off, they should feel completely entitled to. Is that right, Dustin? Yeah. Wonderful. Oh, man. I love playing in one big sandbox. Unfortunately, <laughs> we can't live down the road from one another and just get our Joes out and uh, battle like it's 1984. Yeah. But thanks to the, the miracle of the interwebs, we've got a yeah. substitute. Shall I wrap with a, a broad path around the community? Only if it rhymes, man. One other thing, though. I mean, if Dustin isn't going to continue this tale, is there anything that's getting you fired up currently as a next project? Or are you, once again, waiting for the crossroads of inspiration and excitement and energy to strike? At this moment, there's nothing specific. But like I think I've mentioned to you before, I probably have about close to well over 10 different stories written and... um always working on more and it's just whenever i get to a point where I've, i i tired of sitting behind a computer writing about it I, I i'll pack up a bunch of stuff and go out and try filming some stuff i've gone out and uh there's one where i have this idea of integrating dinosaurs <laughs> into the gi <G-I-N-Story laughs> <laughs> that's music to paul's ears I, I've gone out and uh, had some false starts in filming with that. I wasn't happy with the way it was going, but I, I think that may be the next one. Okay. I'll probably I'll probably go out and do some like really short skitty kind of things, like I've, the last couple things I've, I've put up. Well, bro, if they include that incredible set that you used for Mercer and and Chuckles having their sort of meeting in cloak and dagger. I mean, that just, just a seedy bar in some undisclosed location. That's just the scene of so much intrigue for me. The kind of characters that you can find, you know, sharing yeah. a couple of jars. You and George Lucas. Totally, bro. It's Well, yeah, with a slightly, slightly less exotic clientele than the cantina, <laughs> but still pretty exotic. Do you imagine that just kind of in this... Okay, let me let me think about this carefully. The cartoon series had one thing in its favor, and that's it issued geographical details. It felt like there was this world where G.I. Joe's base was one quick Sky Striker flight away from Cobra's base. And the world was like almost a battlefield. There was Cobra-held territory where they had their kind of you know, more colorful parts of society hanging out that you get to see in The Revenge of Cobra, which was the the Weather Dominator. Uh, You know, Mutt and Flint are kind Mm -hmm. of adventuring through that. And then again in the Pyramid of Darkness with Shipwreck and Snake Eyes starting out in Enterprise City, sort of underground, underbelly, and then like exploring the city itself, which clearly has a Cobra kind of Gestapo element controlling it. Do you imagine that locations like your bar in cloak and dagger exist in this world which is not it's not our world it's the world of the war between gi joe and cobra or am i reading that wrong (laughs) no yeah it's very much i mean like even larry's made all these different countries to put into the comic book story and stuff you know it's very much a 
worldwide thing. Mm. And uh, I really want to get something to Antarctica at some point, but it's kind of hard to do that. We don't, for some reason, we don't really get snow here anymore. Gosh darn it. You know, <laughs> me in North Queensland, I don't seem to get much snow either. What the hell, man? <laughs> Let's have a word with global cooling. Yeah, yeah buddy. Uh, tell me about snow, man. I had great plans for playing in the snow, and it just did not materialize. Yeah. But it's pretty much answered my question. Nice, Dustin. If anyone else has any questions, otherwise, uh, Cooge, you can send us on a merry way, brother. Well, I would like to say it's uh, it's been a pleasure to uh, chat with you, Dustin. Uh, we've definitely exchanged candid thoughts in the DMs, and uh, as a collaborator, as a fan of your work, maybe I'll use this as the card. Dustin did the uh, hooded Cobra Commander riding a Tyrannosaurus, or no, a Velociraptor, um, I believe. I'm coming to a t-shirt near you. Outstanding. Immensely talented. No, it's a, it's a pleasure talking. Two-time supporter of the Black Book. I'm humbled by that, brother. You've been in the tower. You've seen the pages. In one or two sentences, what is the Black Book? It is something that humanity will have to contend with at some point. Mm, I like that. I like that. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the virtual con that uh, What's on Jill Mind put on. That was a hell of a show. They did like podcasts for five straight days. If you missed that, thank you guys for inviting me for that. And uh, Mike and Rob, amazing job. They met their goal, uh, raised money for charity, uh, Worldwide Kitchen, I believe. I think that's pretty much it. Uh, just wanted to send some good vibes out. I know there's a lot of uncertainty out there and stuff like that, but I don't think G.I. Joeberg's going anywhere. Are we, Steven? Hell no, Kujo. Damn. There it is. <laughs> I'm in lockdown. My industry has self-destructed. I have no no other draw on my time. G.I. Joe Burger is my everything. And a little slice of Talking Joe on the side. <laughs> but yes, I'm, uh, I have nothing else to do, fellas. Well, good to know. <laughs> I'm kind of keen. I want to try these. Uh, I want to try my hand at some slice of life G.I. Joe episodes. I think one of the biggest things holding me back is that I've been trying to do too many like stuff that's too big and maybe just overwhelming myself and with my current lifestyle and having my Fridays open a little bit more now for this kind of thing. I think I'm going to try and shoot some of that stuff. Although to be fair, a lot of it's going to be very studio because I can't really get out of the house. Um, as in like, I suppose I can, but, uh, yeah, my neighborhood, uh, the other day busted somebody for playing their music too loud because they thought they were having a party. And so the cops busted in there with guns and machine guns and everything. Not shooting, of course, just, you know, searching this poor guy's house. Um, so I don't want to quite take the chance of, like, running up and down my street with a Sky Striker or anything right now. Um, so a lot of my stuff's going to feel a bit studio-based. But the fact that I can do that, um, yeah, it opens up a few possibilities for me. Better be so, stealth missions, right? <laughs> stealth missions, uh, uh, you know, water cooler chats, uh, meanwhile in the Terradrome. <laughs> uh you know that kind of stuff like i'm actually very keen to explore that and if they're cool then they're then awesome if they're not cool well then at least i made them and i feel good about myself so <laughs> uh but dustin yeah man it's been absolutely cool to chat with you and to have you on the show yeah, to get your insight you. on your process and i have to say this i love that you have peter skilling's track in there um <laughs> I, the name which escapes me right now, and I just double-checked the name before I even went into the podcast, and pff, out of my brain it farted. But I love that song. 
And I also Major love the Tom. cover of that song by Shiny. Yeah, Major Tom. Thank you. And I love the yeah. cover of it by Shiny Toy Guns as well. So <laughs> loved it. When I, when I heard him like singing that, I was like, ah, this, whoever this is, because I didn't know it was you at, initially when I was watching the, the, the preview of behind the scenes on YouTube. And I was like, okay, whoever this is, they've got me. We're going to leave a link to your channel in the episode description. So if you're listening to this on your, your pod catcher, just scroll down and you'll find a link to Dustin's YouTube. Is there anything else you'd like to shout out? Uh, Instagram? Uh, how can how can the good folks find you? Yeah, I'm on Instagram. I don't do a lot of Twitter, but uh, I same handle there, misanthropic git. <laughs> Story for another time, perhaps. Yeah, like I said, it's just something that has been occupying my time it's a distraction to the world and it's fun i mean yes sir the community's really pretty chill uh, which is some I, I see a lot of uh kind of rancor in a, in a bunch of other communities a lot of infighting and stuff and uh it's very off-putting but i don't see a lot of that over here so that's that's Not nice and I, I hope it stays that community. way <laughs> <laughs> yeah you said rancor <laughs> <laughs> yeah no this community does not uh, intend on eating itself fortunately we're good people and we look after our own since yeah. it's pylines break we'll see yeah i'd just like to circle back to the message i started out with uh if you have lost in this tumultuous time you have our condolences and to those people going to bed tonight feeling unsafe about their immediate future, their long-term future, you are in G.I. Joburg's thoughts. Uh, the lesson from my own home country was that we were on the brink of civil war. It could have very easily gone that way. Mm. State uh, assets were being bombed. There was police action in rural communities, a lot of violence, a lot of bloodshed, a lot of deaths. And then a guy, a statesman, was released from prison who guided us through and ensured a peaceful transition into a more enlightened and democratic and understanding time. And that man is gone from the world now. And unfortunately, now we need that Madiba magic the most. I hope we find it somehow. That's all I have to say. They say uh, the revolution will not be televised. That's because it looks like taking a picnic, taking a hike, enjoying good company in nature, growing a garden, you know, enjoying life. Our petty differences never mattered to us when we were all playing G.I. Joe. The only thing Here's that mattered was who got to control Snake Eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, Joeberg, everybody. Berg. <laughs>